0: Welcome to the God Culture, where we urge you to challenge tradition as 1 Thessalonians 5.21 tells us, Prove all things, hold fast that which is good. We do not intend to be confrontational, although we will defend ourselves when challenged in comments, but we compare what the Bible really says versus the traditions of men, which Jesus himself rebuked. Jesus said to the Pharisees, Full well ye reject the commandment of God, that ye may keep your own tradition. Mark 7, 9. Today we are back with 12B of Solomon's Gold series, Where is the Garden of Eden? And we are going to prove the region of the location of the Garden of Eden in this video today. Using the Bible, the Book of Jubilees, the Book of Enoch, and many other sources. And we will narrow that down further in the next video, Part 12C, breaking down the elements of those narratives to tie it all together. And we will propose an exact location in 12D. But what difference does it make anyway? Who cares where the Garden of Eden is located? Why bother? For much the same reason that so many scholars have bothered to peddle an occult narrative of the garden being in Babylon, of all places. Do you know what the Garden of Eden is? It's not just a nice secret garden of pretty flowers and nice trees and a great story. It is the most significant of the holy places, the most significant place on earth. It matters to Yahuwah God, and it should matter to us, especially if you live in that area in which the garden is located. But shouldn't we just focus on salvation? Because that's the only subject in the Bible, isn't it? Really? Though it is an important evangelistic message and we certainly believe and have proven that for many years most of the Bible however is not specifically about salvation there are many other topics why because Yahuwah God wants us to progress in our relationship with him personally through his son Yehusha Jesus why Because he loves us and wants true intimacy for us, not for us to just repeat a ritual prayer, volunteer, give, and be on our way. Yahoo! There is so much more to this relationship, and there is a reason why he provided us with the rest of the Bible, not just the salvation message, which again is very important. By the way, we have considerable experience in this area and have progressed in our thinking that educating people about who Yahuwah God truly is, you know, the God culture, thus our name, is more important than anything because it leads to true salvation that sticks. People don't walk away when they truly understand and know Him. Now, we understand that is not what we are all told in church. And we have preached the salvation message thousands of times to thousands of people only to watch many check the box and go on living their lives as if they don't even know Yahuwah God at all. Perhaps they don't. Why does this happen? Because they have not been given any foundation whatsoever. And this is discipleship. That's what is important. Something which all of the churches in which we have been associated have executed pretty poorly, in our opinion. Building numbers is not building the kingdom. This isn't a club, and generally... The modern church has gone far over the line into a watered-down gospel, which has no effect, just as we were warned. And that is the different gospel, or the strange doctrine referred to in the Bible, not the God culture revealing where the Garden of Eden is. Does it tickle your ears when you hear the garden is in your country? Sure it may. And that's not a bad thing. But continuing to allow truth to be suppressed so we could avoid challenges, (laughs) no way. We will not disobey Yahuwah God. This is why we exist. To provide you with insight and foundation, you may not hear a whole lot of other places. And encourage you to go prove it for yourself. As we tell you often, we don't mind questions and even challenges as long as it's not a Jesuit forming our words into saying something we didn't say and then creating a debate from a false narrative, which is a standard easy-to-spot tactic, we should all be on the lookout for. If you see a steamy response from us in comments, We will let those Pharisees have it the same way Yahushua, Jesus did. And we will not apologize for it. See, it matters where Mount Zion, Eden, is because it is being used to form a false narrative which will mislead many. And Mount Sinai, which we proved. It matters where Ophir, Tarshish, Sheba, and Havilah are. Because these places matter in history and in future prophecy. Otherwise, we are misreading the Bible and all kinds of narratives are being formed that benefit a Kabbalistic agenda rather than Yahuwah God's. We will continue to unfold this through all of our videos, as it is elaborate. So, now that we know where two of the three holy places of Yahuwah God are on earth, Mount Zion and Mount Sinai, let's set off on our journey to the Garden of Eden. And what an excursion this will be! We begin with the scripture in Jubilees revealing Noah's elation that Shem received in his inheritance the three holy places of Yahuwah God. One, Mount Zion, we proved is the navel, middle, or center of the earth. Again, if you are watching this and have not viewed part 12a, stop now and go back. And watch part 12a because it will be difficult to understand some of these points without that foundation. Because this may not make sense out of context. And frankly, we begin this mapping from the Book of Jubilees that we're using here in this video in parts 3 and 4 of our Flood series. And without that foundation, ultimately, you may wonder why we are using Jubilees, which we explain, or how we arrive at these directions, but they are turn-by-turn directions from Noah, written in the Book of Jubilees, and when you follow them step-by-step, you hopefully will find what we've found so far. Feel free to go back and watch those first, or if you need clarification later, try those videos first, because it's very difficult to answer some questions about directions in comments when there is a complete map and visual which we already created for clarification. 2. Mount Sinai which is on the western side of Saudi Arabia not the Sinai Peninsula as we have been told and now for the Garden of Eden. As we said we will prove the region in which the garden is located today. It's okay if you don't agree, but if you haven't challenged the traditional view that the garden is located in Babylon, which is most scholars, or even Africa, you likely will definitely challenge those by the end of this video. Here is our map again which is actually the UN logo which works best because it shows the northern and southern hemisphere seamlessly so we don't have to go off the screen and back again as we did in part ten, Rivers from Eden. And it was a little difficult using the traditional maps as opposed to this one which actually has even more history. If you haven't watched that video, part ten, you were really missing out. And we will also use pieces of that in this presentation. But we posit our theory that the rivers from Eden can be found, and they're on the bottom of the ocean floor today. We show you a map, and we take you through it in great detail, and you will enjoy that one. For deeper understanding, we encourage you to watch part 10. All seven continents are here on the map, and Antarctica is the outer edge. Again, we are not entering the flat earth debate, so don't ask us. For the purpose of this video, however, we do wish to remind everyone that the ancients believed the world was a flat, round disk, more similar to this map, which is another reason why it works so well. It even does not matter what modern science has or has not proven for this video because even basic science class taught us all that the world did not believe in a sphere Earth until pretty recently in history. This is a view from above the Earth which matches how Jubilees is written and perspective matters. Otherwise, one may be inclined to go through the Bible and make assumptions, like a place called Aden in Iran is Eden because it, well, sounds the same, right? And it matches, well, uh, two of a story of 20 or more elements. Okay, yeah, maybe that doesn't make sense. Or it's in Africa because... Well, that's where the Nile River is, because it is a large river that, well, doesn't have four heads, nor gold, nor pearl, nor onyx, nor does it surround anything. And there are two rivers which encircle entire areas mentioned in Genesis 2, and that doesn't describe the Nile River either. But as long as you ignore, well, almost all the information in the text... It works perfect. No, it does not. However, following the directions in jubilees, the entire map of the entire earth comes into full view and focus as the borders are laid out meticulously by Noah himself, which is what one would expect from a man of over 700 years of age who inherited the entire earth, not a little piece of it, in the Middle East. Scholars have not caught any of this research, for the most part, because they are conditioned to think in the wrong paradigm from the start. They fail to realize the ancient view, and they assert their own view, which is meaningless in bringing these passages to light. And here it is in color, and remember the directions are a little different as the North Pole is in the center and everything leaving the North Pole is south. East is counterclockwise and west is clockwise. Everything approaching the North Pole is heading north. Antarctica is not addressed in Noah's directions, which tells us this map is more similar to Noah's thinking, but would be The outer edge. Antarctica, that is. One of our viewers noticed that Antarctica was missing from Noah's directions, and even today, not one of the sun's lineage has claimed the entire land of Antarctica. But it is split by a treaty between several nations. So, let's jump in. And again, this is a representation of Noah's mapping in which Japheth has the cold areas. Ham essentially has the hot, and Shem's is a blend between cold and hot, as Jubilees tells us. Again, there is much more detail than that simple wrap-up that we just referenced, but take a look at the Flood series, parts 3 and 4, and part 12a of Solomon's Gold series, in order to get a full understanding of what we mean. Now, let's commence with Genesis. Genesis 2, verses 8 and 9. And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground made the Lord God, Yahuwah, to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden. Many scholars read this and confuse Eden with the Garden of Eden. However, where it says eastward in Eden, the word in is assumed as it is not there the hebrew word used translated as eastward already carries a connotation including a participle kadin means eastward or to or toward the east a secondary definition, which we find to be amazingly close to what we found in the rest of this series, is Mount of the East, or Mount of the Orient, imagine that, which is the same used in the place where Jockton and his sons were headed. And we are going to talk about that mountain in more detail in the next video. The full original Hebrew phrase is Gan, which means garden, Kadim, which means to the east, Eden, Eden, of Eden, meaning garden to the east of Eden. The garden is not in Eden. It's the garden of Eden, but it's not in Eden. And we'll show you when we talk about how the river from Eden leaves Eden to go to the garden to water it. So notice what these three points are forming on a map, a triangle. Just as Jubilees says, they have facing sides. They're facing each other. Now we go back into the directions of Jubilees. Again, Flood Series 3 and 4 for clarification. Jubilees 8.16, and it, Shem's territory, extends toward the east till it reaches the Garden of Eden. Wow. This is a mapping of borders, and further references will really illustrate this, but allow us some leeway of saying this is the basic eastern border region of Shem's territory. We will prove this to a point that is really indisputable. By the way, at this point in the directions, Noah places us on the east coast of Africa, including the waters of the Indian Ocean to that point. He does include seas in his directions and waterways as well. So from basically just west of Madagascar, we draw a line east to the eastern border of Shem's territory. The Orient, which matches what Genesis says. Have you ever wondered, though, why is the Orient, Far East, called such? As the earth is round, don't East and West never meet? How did mankind arrive at a cutoff line? How does East have an end? For the same reason that even the Bible refers to the ends. Of the earth. There's an area where east and west start and end, according to history and the Bible. The term Orient derives from the Latin word oriens, meaning east, rising, or rise. The use of the word for rising to refer to the east is because the sun rises in the east. It has analogs from many languages. This is why, when Yehusha Jesus referred to the ends of the earth, as well as many other scriptures, meaning the area in which the end of the east meets the end of the west, where the sun rises and eventually sets. Japan even calls itself Land of the Rising Sun, and Philippines, though known as the Pearl of the Orient, which we will prove has far greater meaning in keeping its identity of the land of Adam and Eve, refers to itself in its national anthem as Land of the Morning, Child of the Sun Returning. Now back to Shem's Territory. And it extends toward the east till it reaches the Garden of Eden, to the south thereof, to the south, and from the east of the whole land of Eden and of the whole east. It turns to the east and proceeds till it reaches the east of the mountain named Rafa, and it ascends to the bank of the mouth of the river Tina. This is why we need maps. This would be impossible to explain without it. But take a look at this map. We've drawn arrows and follow along. We already showed you this and other descriptions uh, place Eden in the North Pole. But the garden planted eastward of Eden is in the Orient, the Far East. One, because that is the end of Shem's territory, as seen here, and also because from the Garden Shem's territory covers south of that, and we'll show you Ham's territory, which completely defines this. You can't get to the Rafa Mountains, or historical Rafaan Mountains, named after Japheth's grandson Rifath, known today as the Ural Mountains, and they continue to serve as the dividing line for Europe and Asia in Russia to this day. This is why scholars get stuck on these directions because they do not realize Eden and the Garden of Eden are separate and that Eden is in the North Pole and the Garden of Eden is in the Far East. But the next portion is very telling as Noah repeats the holy places in Shem's territory. And he knew that the one, Garden of Eden is the Holy of Holies and the dwelling of the Lord. We'll cover that. And two, Mount Sinai, the center of the desert. And three, Mount Zion, the center of the navel of the earth. These three were created as holy places facing each other, forming a triangle. We know the Garden of Eden is somewhere in the east, But let's prove this further and narrow down the region in which it is located. And in another video, we're going to prove this out to what we believe is the exact location. Here's the end of Noah's wrap-up of Shem's territory identifying the location of the three holy places first. 1. The whole land of Eden, which is Mount Zion at the North Pole. Two, the whole land of the Red Sea, which is Mount Sinai. And three, and the whole land of the East. This is the location of the Garden of Eden, but we'll narrow it down more. Noah is beginning with the three holy places, of course, because they are the most important. Let's identify Ham's border in the east to get a full perspective here. And for Ham came forth this second portion. Beyond the Gihon River, towards the south to the right of the Garden, the Garden of Eden. Remember, Shem's inheritance stated, and it extends toward the east till it reaches the Garden of Eden. No, Ham's territory does not just identify Africa. The Gihon was just specified as the western border of Shem's territory, and that's where we begin with Ham's border here. So, what we have here is a clear definition that Ham's territory begins at Shem's border at the Gihon River, basically the African coastline, the eastern coastline, and goes all the way around the earth, yes, around the earth, to the Garden of Eden, or just to the right of it, which you'll see, which it must, because if his territory was to head east into the Indian Ocean, it would trample on Shem's territory at that point. We'll prove this out further, so you don't think we're trying to pull some kind of voodoo here. Let's see this on a map. See, the Garden of Eden is all the way in the Far East, and Shem's territory blocks most of the coast of Africa on the eastern side, according to the directions. We didn't make that up. That's what Noah's directions say. And again, if you go back and look at the other videos, you'll see the full detail is all right there. Ham's begins on the eastern coast of Africa, but we have a problem. How do we get to the Garden of Eden from there? It's a bold step, but the only logical way to follow Noah's directions, and he set it up this way, we believe, on purpose, so there was no other option. I wouldn't want to play chess with that 700-year-old man for sure. Remember, Genesis 2 says the Gihon River surrounds the entire land of Cush, Ethiopia. And we showed you before the entire land of Ethiopia is the entire continent of Africa. There is no river that surrounds just Ethiopia anyway. But the ancient Gihon River, along with the other four rivers from Eden, are at the bottom of the ocean floor. Again, watch part 10 for this as we show you the ocean floor map and really prove this out. It's a theory, but being proven more true every day. We know that the continent of Africa was widely referred to as Ethiopia in history all the way up until the 19th century. Here's a map of the Ethiopian Sea. But it's on the west coast of Africa, with the country of Ethiopia being all the way on the northeastern side. It makes no sense in modern times. Again, a matter of perspective. When we don't understand what the ancients believed, we will mess up our interpretation, especially of biblical geography. And that is important. We must keep all things in perspective here and not look at them strictly from a modern context. The Atlantic, at least in the south, was called the Ethiopian Sea up until 200 years ago. Proving the entire continent of Africa was referred to, whether interchangeably or whatever, was referred to as Ethiopia. And for Ham came forth the second portion, beyond the Gihon, towards the south, to the right of the garden. Noah lays out the border, the western side of the Gihon, which is Africa, but now we are going to go where no scholar has gone before, of which we know anyway. The border is set, And the next direction is to go to the right of the Garden of Eden. But that's all the way in the far east, according to Shem's directions. And we can't get there by heading east, because that's already Shem's, which proves the latitude which we show in a minute must be above Ham's line anyway. How do we get there? here we go we go this way where no territory has been assigned yet because that's the nature of these directions and there is no other option period what does this mean ham inherits Africa central and South America possibly even Mexico and Florida Texas Southern California because his land is hot, and Japheth's is cold, he's to the north, including North America, that's Japheth, which we prove pretty well, thanks to Noah. Pause this slide if you need, and study it as well as the passage, and make sure you get this. Someone is saying, wait a minute, you're showing the Philippines as the Garden of Eden, and you don't know that yet, do you? Okay, we're a little ahead of you, but you'll see. These directions are very clear. Let's keep going. And it extends toward the south. Okay, so we're at the Garden of Eden, just to the right of it, and now we go south. Isn't that the same thing we did in Shem's territory? Yes, it is. Found the Garden of Eden, and we headed south a little. Yes, because Noah defined the border on both sides, and now he brings it home. This is one of the largest keys, and it extends to all the mountains of fire. This threw us off at first, because if you look at all the mountains of fire, all the volcanoes on earth... Uh, The most volcanoes are actually in the U.S. is number one. Russia is number two. Most people don't realize that. They assume that the Ring of Fire is where the most volcanoes are. That's not necessarily true, at least not by countries. Then there's the Ring of Fire, but all three suns have portions of that territory, so it really would confuse things if it actually means all the volcanoes on Earth. But then, we found this. And why haven't scholars gotten this? Because they're in the wrong mindset. They're not even looking to the Far East. They don't even think it exists in those days. And they're very wrong. Historically, in every way, they're wrong. Okay. There's a series of volcanoes in that exact area of the Earth, right to the south of the Garden of Eden. It's in the exact place which we are in the directions for Ham's territory. It's called Ganung, Ganung Apai, which in Javanese means exactly mountains of fire. Ganung means mountain. When it's used twice, it means mountains, plural, and Apai is fire, mountains of fire. This is a literal translation. There are really mountains of fire. And that nails this whole scripture down so that we really understand what Noah is saying here. So this settles the border to the south of the Garden of Eden, where Shem has the north of it and Ham has south of it, including Australia. It also covers a piece of the southeastern tip defining Shem to the left and Ham to the right. But Noah repeats this another way in this passage to confirm. In the next verse, he writes of Ham's territory, which he has just defined the northern border as the Mediterranean Sea, which is part of the ancient Gihon River from Eden, which surrounds all of the land of Ethiopia, Africa, and goes along the river Gihon till it reaches the right of the Garden of Eden. See, we're already heading west at that point. So you're at the northern tip of Africa, and you're heading west from the European border one would follow the Gihan from basically Egypt in northeast Africa to the western tip. Then that border would go beyond the Gihan. That's where the Gihan would end. So it keeps going west. So where does it go? Well, it goes to the Garden of Eden, right to the right of it, right? So how does it get there? Well, it gets there by traveling around the entire earth all the way to the other side all the way to the right of the Garden of Eden. So looking at these directions in reverse on a detailed close-up map gives us a true position of the Garden of Eden which is to the east of Eden, Mount Zion. By the way We only drew a few volcanoes, as there are 147 of them, and they are basically all over Indonesia, even the Indonesian portion of Borneo. Coincidentally, uh, right at the border of Saba, hmm, and Indonesia, on Borneo. But that can't mean anything, right? Certainly that border wasn't formed by Noah, was it? Hmm... The Garden is near the border of Shem's east, and Ham is to the right of it. As we headed south in both territories, the Garden of Eden is north of the Mountains of Fire in Indonesia. The red triangles on this map, but again by the border between Shem and Ham on Shem's side, in Shem's eastern territory by the border look again at the border laid out by the mountains of fire they form the border to the south but also define the border to the east so we know how far east shem's territory goes because his inheritance shows the garden on his border but hams comes over just to the right of it and heads south and so does shem's It could not be clearer than the mountains of fire. See that? So, where is the Garden of Eden? It's around the area of the Philippines. How do we know it's not mainland countries like China, Vietnam, Laos, etc.? Because they are too far from the east border of Shem, which is defined by the mountains of fire. How do we know it's not Japan? Because Japan is too cold for Ham's territory to be just to the right of it. Because his territory is hot, remember? According to Noah, Japheth's is cold. And Shem's is blended between the two. But Ham's cannot be cold. Just what is due north of Indonesia? The Philippines and Borneo slash malaysia indonesia well actually not indonesia because there's a volcano as you see on the map there's a volcano right at the top tip the northern tip of indonesia on borneo so the only part of borneo that could be part of this is above that and what's there hmm so that narrows it down but look, Borneo, Malaysia is west of Shem's border with the Philippines in between, which means Ham's territory could not be to the right of it as a border, which, remember, is what is being described here. It's also too far from the border. That leaves one area, and only one, the Philippines. Why not the international dateline? Well, history does not bear out that the Far East or Orient goes that far. Never has. And we are in the East in these directions. In fact, go back and look at the slide we showed you before of the Orient, and you'll find those islands are not part of the Orient. In fact, look at the indigenous cultures of Indonesia, Australia, Papua New Guinea, Samoa, etc., and you find greater similarities to that of Ham's territories of South America and Africa, but not with Asia necessarily. Could Shem's territory include uh, Palau, Yap, and the Marianas? Perhaps, but remember, there are additional ties to the Philippines as Ophir, there is a reason why Solomon built a brand new navy and port on the Red Sea to take a three-year risky journey to Ophir for golden resources, which his father David already had placed aside in the treasury, because it was an area within his family's territory, Shem, the family of Shem, with the greatest history in which he was aware, where Adam and Eve lived. And we'll prove that even further. Indonesia is not Shem, it's Ham. Malaysia falls within Shem, but that's a very new country in history. So let's trail off in that direction for just a moment. Don't forget Saba, which is the northern portion of Borneo or Brunei, Malaysia. Who does that actually belong to anyway? Well, there's a dispute going on, but ancient history actually tells us, and it's right there in the name. Saba means from Sheba. In other words, a territory belonging to Sheba, just as it did for Ethiopia, the wrong Sheba and wrong Saba, which was from Sheba. Sheba from Ethiopia. Again, the wrong Sheba. No, from Sheba is not Sheba. It's Sheba's property, just as Ophira in Saudi Arabia, which means towards Ophir, is not Ophir by definition. It's toward it. So it pretty much says, this isn't it. For those who may not know this, the Philippines owned that land before Malaysia and still claims ownership of it. Who knows how the dispute will settle, but we firmly believe that ancient maps, which we show, and this finding prove this because Saba is a territory from Sheba, which is part of Sheba, Ophir, Philippines. And just a quick note, notice how history began to be rewritten even at the time of this map by Jesuit Pedro Velarde. Where are these guys on the left from the Boxer Codex who were described as innumerable? Well, they're so innumerable that I guess they don't exist anymore according to uh, Jesuit Pedro Velarde. Likely wiped out at this point, maybe at least their goal was, perhaps you endear Jesuits and we are not trying to offend you, but if you cannot see the obvious, may Yahuwah God take the blinders off your eyes. We actually received some comments trying to marginalize the Boxer Codex. Of course, they ignored the other quotes which we provided within the same context. So, here are a few quotes again to reinforce this. The ones in this particular picture may well be what the Spanish would consider royals, yet that term does not fit their own observations. Let's look. Antonio de Morga wrote About their necks they wear gold necklaces, wrought like spun wax. This is an eyewitness account, by the way, and with links. In our fashion, is that because much of this jewelry design originated in Ophir? Hmm. Some larger than others, on their arms they wear armlets of wrought gold, which they call columbigas, and which are very large and made in different patterns. How did these native tribal peoples figure out how to work with gold so intricately? And why would it even matter to isolated tribes in the middle of nowhere with no contact with the outside world, which is what we've been told? Because that is not true. That's why. Somewhere, strings of precious stones. We had someone try to argue that there are no precious stones in the Philippines. Actually, there are in Mindanao. However, even if there weren't, as far as native in the mountains, It wouldn't matter because they traded the gold for the jewels, if nothing else. But they were here. Strings of precious stones, cornelians and agates, and other blue and white stones, which they esteem highly. Why blue and white? Look into that. They wear around the legs, even their legs, wow, some strings of these stones. Really? stones around their legs. That's amazing. And certain cords, like the sacred thread, covered with black pitch and many foldings as garters. We actually had a couple of people try to make the point that there are no precious stones in the Philippines. You can certainly make whatever point you wish, but these aren't our words. This is an historian and we're not going to ignore what he's saying. But surely he's only referring to the royals, right? Not the other classes of people. Guido de Laverzaris wrote There are some chiefs in this island, barangay captains, who have on their persons 10 or 12,000 ducats. We'll discuss this. Worth of gold in jewels, to say nothing of the lands, slaves, and mines that they own. There are so many of these chiefs that they are innumerable. Likewise, the individual subjects of these chiefs have a great quantity of the said jewels of gold, which they wear on their persons. Bracelets, chains, and earrings of solid gold, daggers of gold, and other very rich trinkets. This is the common man. These are generally seen among them. And not only the chiefs and freemen have plenty of these jewels, but even slaves possess and wear golden trinkets upon their persons openly and freely. Wow. Note the intricate craftsmanship described here by De Morga even refers to ancient times, meaning these Ophirians had been creating these works of art for a long time past from antiquity. And we're going to show you another quote. Chiefs would be barangay captains at that time, which was the highest level in government, and there are so many. The Spanish were initially unable to count them all. They are describing a different form of government. But did only those chiefs, really barangay captains, own gold though? No, the common man did as well, and a considerable amount even on their person, according to this account. But not just these barangay leaders and free men, common men, But also, the slaves had this wealth and it was wealth. Don't let anyone marginalize that. They're trying, but they're going to fail because they're wrong. Some try to make the point that gold did not have the same value in the Philippines as in Europe. And to that point, we would actually agree a little. From reading many of these quotes even... It appears gold had about half the value in the Philippines as it did in Europe. But with such an overwhelming amount of this is no surprise. In market rules of supply and demand, that is normal that the price goes down when the supply is higher. However, Half the value still equals great wealth in this case. And these possessions belong to all classes according to the same Jesuit order observations, which would later be suppressing and rewriting history. The larger point is that gold still had great value as it was used to trade All evidences point to a robust economy of Ophir at that time, and that cannot be marginalized. We're about to show you something that will nail that point. They just don't want you to see the theft wasn't from a government treasury. It was from your families, Filipinos, the common man, the barangay captains, and even the slaves. We're all robbed, and this is why we rail against the role of the Vatican in all of this. By the way, notice the measure of gold here. Each of these innumerable barangay captains wore between ten and 12,000 ducats of gold on their person. So what is a ducat anyway? There are several estimates, but we'll use one in the middle. In 2012, Business Insider estimates a Ducat of gold in the 1500 era as a Ducat's weight is roughly 3.5 grams or 0.11 troy ounces of gold weight. So 3,000 Ducats is roughly 530,000 U.S. dollars at today's gold price. So let's math this out. If one Ducat equals 3.5 grams of gold, 10,000 Ducats, the smaller number worn by the barangay captains on their person, equals 35,000 grams. Goldcalc.com tells us as of September 2017, 24 karat pure gold, which is what this would be, is worth $43.01 per gram. 35,000 grams times 4,301 per gram equals 1.5 million U.S. dollars. Whoa! Now, we didn't make this up. We didn't write this. The Spanish Jesuits did. And remember, this wasn't in a safe. It was on their person. They wore it publicly because they knew it was safe to do so. What a poor people this must have been indeed. And this class alone was innumerable. And all classes had some of this wealth on their person, whether alone what may be stored away, uh, what they had in other assets other than gold such as land, gems, pearl, silver, livestock, agriculture, and so on and so forth. I don't know. What do you call a society which has an innumerable amount of millionaires? We can tell you what the Jesuit missionaries call them, pray, just as they did South America Hawaii, most of Africa, and all over the world, which is what got them exiled from 85 countries. This scheme of the Jesuits is not limited to the Philippines. It is steeped in their history all over the world. Research it. And what's the coin pictured to the right? Let's take a brief look. This is an example of a ducat in circulation in 1616, fairly close to the era, uh, in Europe, similar to that of the Spanish. Why is there a Jesuit IHS symbol on a gold coin if they were merely a religious order? You do know they run the Vatican Bank, right? They are businessmen looking for gain above all. Columbus was on a mission for gold, God and glory were told. No, he was on a mission for gold, and so were the rest of the explorers. Why is there an eye of the Egyptian god Horus above the Jesuit logo here? Did you know that there are some who make the case that IHS stands for Isis Horus Set, the Egyptian trinity of false scots? We can't prove that, but we have seen some compelling information. Of course, we've never found any ties within the Catholic Church of ISIS, or have we? We know someone is going to go online and look up the Jesuit definition of IHS and send it to us. We are well aware what they tell us it means, but this is yet another one of those coincidences which keep piling up. By the way, the Catholic Church is not the only organization using this ancient symbology. It's actually more widespread than you may realize. If a church is using an ancient symbol and their only answer is that they changed its meaning and Christianized it, look deeper because there is no such thing. No one would use an ancient pagan symbol Especially not one representing a pagan god specifically, unless there is more to the story. Why is the mythical Phoenix, which is in occult lore rising from the ashes of destruction, bringing order out of chaos, why does he appear on this money and much of the modern money? It still does today. In fact, research the introduction of the American eagle in the U.S. seal, and you'll find that Ben Franklin described it as a phoenix, not an eagle, but changed the description because he thought it would not be accepted as a phoenix. That's where the American eagle came from. Do these kinds of facts matter? They do if you are going to fulfill Yahusha's will for you to not be deceived. One last thing, they call this a Sophie. Who or what is that? Sophie or Sophia means wisdom. And if you have reviewed the Da Vinci Code by Dan Brown at all, you will remember that's the name of the supposed modern descendant of Jesus who actually fathered children through Mary Magdalene, according to them. We didn't say that. They're saying that. We don't believe it. A tie between the Jesuit order and that secret occult doctrine. What a lie. This kind of symbology has been used by the Vatican since its inception. We could do several videos just on that one topic alone. We just don't find it as important today as much of the other things we're dealing with. But we will get there. This kind of symbology is important because if you're using it and you don't know what it means, then that also is very telling. Do you think Yahushua, Jesus, used these symbols? No. Did the disciples? No way. Why do we point out these things? Because if we are going to put an occult item on the screen, we are darn sure going to tell you what it is. In time, if you don't already, you will spot these symbols with hidden meanings all over. These are on currency all over the world. But who mints the coins and prints the bills? The central banks. And who are? The bankers, well, they're from Babylon. They're Pharisees. Remember at the temple when Yahusha Jesus turned over the tables. Knights Templar, Freemasons, Jesuits—you may have even heard the term Illuminati. No matter the label, the leaders of these organizations are all Kabbalists who believe you and I are mundanes, or goyim, heretics, infidels. Any of those sound familiar? These are all the same principles. By classifying us as something subhuman or less evolved than they, they can justify the doctrine of Satan, which kills, steals, and destroys but it's okay because they're mundane. They're not purely human. They're not on the same level as we are. It is a doctrine in which many of these believe they will become gods. Look into the likes of George Soros, for instance. Moving along. One last quick quote just to reaffirm and set the foundation historically from Hernando Raquel in 1574. The natives proceed more slowly in this, in mining for gold, is what he's referencing, and content themselves with what they already possess in jewels and gold ingots, handed down from antiquity and inherited from their ancestors. This is considerable, for he must be poor and wretched, who has no gold chains, calumbigas and earrings. Wow. Now, some actually tried to make the point that we were embellishing some of these quotes, but these are exact quotes. And you can look them up for yourself, and you'll find them. They're there. It's easy to search for them online. And you'll. in fact, we've put a reference on the slide. Uh, even the books that they're from, etc. This gold was handed down from the time of Solomon. And no, it was not a limited amount, as there was so much abundance of gold, according to this, that they slowed down in their mining. They got their gold from their ancestors. From when? From antiquity. What was antiquity to folks in 1574? Well, probably, likely, before Yahusha, B.C. Raquel is confirming Ophir, Philippines, is ancient. By the way, notice where Raquel is writing about here. Not Mindanao, but Luzon Island. This was not isolated to any particular area of the Philippines. It was all over. And some try to marginalize these quotes, as well as the ancient Filipinos as being natives wearing long cloths. And yes, some did. But there are classes of people that did not and cannot be classified that way. If anyone is going to marginalize... It would be the Jesuit historians of all people. And these are their quotes. the reason is, is because these were fresh quotes. And they were writing without a filter at that point. The filter came later, though, as they rewrote the history of the Philippines. Genesis 2, 5-7 And every plant of the field before it was in the earth, and every herb of the field before it grew. For the Lord God, Yahuwah, had not caused it to rain upon the earth, and there was not a man to till the ground. But there went up a mist from the earth, and watered the whole face of the earth. And the Lord God, Yahuwah, formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. What we don't teach in church much is Adam's intimate relationship with Yahuwah God and how much Yahuwah treasured it. Yahuwah breathed the breath of life, ...into Adam's nostrils, and this is why especially Lucifer, for instance, became so jealous. Even when Adam was tricked into sinning, Yahuwah gave him the directions for how to atone for that sin. And Yahuwah did not leave him in that state, nor mankind. Adam then served Yahuwah the rest of his days. But we don't hear much about that either. Also notice a soul is not living unless it has Yahuwah, God's breath of life, which is why the Nephilim, which we'll cover more in the Flood series, are considered basically the walking dead. We call them today zombies. They do not have the breath of life, and that is why they are ineligible for heaven, which we will discuss further in the Flood series. And when Adam sinned, Yahuwah God sacrificed animals, it's plural, coats and skins, and made them coats of skins and clothed them. We do not see this as identifying only one outfit for each, but multiple ones. That is an assumption, but a practical one that makes more sense than saying he only gave them one outfit when he sacrificed multiple animals and created clothes out of multiple skins. The relationship between Adam and Yahuwah God did not end with the fall. And if anything, it was strengthened as a result. Just as when David sinned, he repented, atoned, And Yahuwah God forgave. And even Israel has played the harlot with other gods. Yet, Yahuwah still finds a way to restore relationship. This is what he is all about. And we'll make that point over and over and over again. It is the story of the entire Bible. Almost every account. Back to the Garden. What was the Garden of Eden, anyway? Anyway. Jubilee says, And he, Noah, knew that the Garden of Eden is the Holy of Holies and the dwelling of the Lord, Yahuwah. Now, we have established that Noah knew exactly where the Garden was and gave detailed directions. It is not a secret and never was. Where have we seen this description, though, before? The Holy of Holies and the dwelling of Yahuwah. Well, it's in the description of the tabernacle as well as the temple in the city of David. It had a holy of holies, which only the high priest could enter, where Yahuwah God dwelled physically in the Ark of the Covenant. Dr. Michael Heiser covers this in full detail, where he even links Yahuwah God's council of angels to the Garden of Eden. And we agree with him on that point. Not on everything, though, because he is ultimately a scholar who has more perspective than most scholars, yes, but still, deep down, does not completely believe the Bible from what we have observed from his teachings. Let's be clear, though. The temple is not in the city of David, Israel, any longer. And neither is the holy of holies, nor Yahuwah God's presence. Jerusalem, Israel, the city of David, uh, Israel actually, is not one of the three holy places on earth of Yahuwah God. Much is made out of the importance of the land, and it is especially historically, and it will play a role in the last days. But it is not the heavenly Jerusalem, because that's the Mount of Congregation, Mount Zion in the navel, middle of the earth, and it is not the Garden of Eden, where Yahuwah God still dwells and His Holy of Holies is still there, His permanent one. It is important and no one replaced Israel, so don't anybody accuse us of replacement theology. We don't believe in that, we don't support that, but we don't support Zionism either. But the definition has expanded of Israel to include Gentiles who are grafted in if they so choose. Nor are Hebrews automatically saved because of their ethnicity, No scripture ever supports that, nor their religion, because Judaism isn't mentioned not even once in the Bible. Isn't that odd? And supposedly, that's the original religion of Yahuwah God. No, it wasn't, because he never formed a religion. He formed a covenant relationship with Adam, with Enoch with Noah, with Abraham and Moses and the Israelites and Yahusha and the disciples. I mean, it was all relationship. The whole Bible is about relationship. We are going to get into this in more detail. And we are even going to get to a series on Revelation at some point, which will put things in focus, especially based on these findings. We are not reinterpreting the Bible, but restoring the original, because the ancients knew everything we have taught. And what we are saying is pretty consistent with that which matters far more than whether we ever match any denominational doctrine in which we have no interest. We have lost much of this knowledge but none of this is actually new. We bring it to you free of charge, and we ask for nothing except follow the teaching, test it, and once proven, share with others. Not just our videos, but you make it your own, and share it in your own words. We aren't licensing any of this, nor trying to control this message. This is the Holy Spirit's message, not ours. There are already pastors out there incorporating this into their church sermons. An evangelist traveling with this message. Yes, there are. There's a minister of music touring with this message right now. And even a seminary incorporating portions of Solomon's Gold series in their curriculum. Even including the River from Eden theory and Havilah the ancient land of Adam and Eve, the Philippines. We cannot even make videos fast enough for the demand ourselves, unfortunately. This research is intense, and we want to get it right. We would move faster if we could, but we want it to be right. It won't be perfect. We might mess up a little reference here or there, but you know what? We're striving for excellence, not perfection here. However, Freely you have received and freely give. Share this message with others. Not all will accept this message, but there is a remnant of people who will prove it for themselves. And in time, much of the Philippines will come to know this. It's not about the God Culture YouTube channel or whether we can sell books and go on speaking tours. And It's about you rising up and following His will which only you can discover. Let's go back to our River from Eden theory for a few moments. Here's the old map we used in Part 10, but again it's clunky, because it goes off one side and into the other. Let's look at this on the UN-style map we have been using. Oh look, the river from Eden starts at the North Pole in the land of Eden, just as the passage says. And a river went out of Eden. Where did it go? Out of Eden. It left Eden. The land of Eden and the Garden of Eden are two different places. And what was the river's purpose? To water the garden. So imagine that. The Garden of Eden is right at the end of this entire worldwide ancient five-river system at the ends of the earth. All those important clues, by the way. And from thence, it was parted and became into four heads. Does it say the four heads had to part in the exact same place? That's what some scholars look for, most for that matter, But it's not what it says, is it? Just four heads, which could be in different places and are not connected other than by the river from Eden. Not to each other. The name of the first is Pisan. That is it which compasseth, surrounds, the whole land of Havilah. No, the little river from Iran that surrounds nothing does not fit the Pisan River, nor does any river in Iraq, nor Africa. Scholars can only make such a case by ignoring what the Bible actually says, where there is gold. Many scholars stop here, and if there was ever a trace of gold in a river, they wish to identify it. They say it fits, but they ignore the rest of the passage, which tells us this is no modern river, and the gold of that land is good, good, plenty, the most gold of any land on earth, and by the way, that is indisputably the Philippines. We've proved that well over many, many, many times in this series. There is delium. Delium is pearl, not resin from a tree in Africa, and we prove that in Part 10. But are there ancient pearls in central or northern Iraq and Iran, in the Nile River in Africa even? Tiny ones, perhaps, but not giant ones, which means more ancient. And we'll explain this, because the way pearls operate, the older the clam, the larger the pearl. That's the way that it works. So where you found the very largest of pearls are the very oldest of clams. And the name of the second river is Gihan. Oh, I'm sorry, I skipped. And the onyx stone. Okay, so and the onyx stone. Again, we are definitely going to cover this one. And you're, if you don't know this, you're going to be surprised, perhaps. But onyx stone is very prevalent in the Philippines. Again, not in those areas of Iraq and Iran. And we'll cover this. And the name of the second river is Gihan. The same is it which composite, or that composite, surrounds the whole land of Ethiopia. Again, whole land means whole, the whole continent, all of the land. And there is no river surrounding just Ethiopia. And it has to surround to fit the definition by the verse. And that's quite a fact to dismiss in picking a river to fit, well, an occult theory that leads to Babylon, because that's really what's behind that. We proved already the Ethiopian Sea was the name of the Atlantic Ocean until the 19th century, proving that all of Africa was associated as Ethiopia, not just the country on the northeast side. And the name of the third river is Hidakal. Now, some translations say Tigris here, but that was never its name and has no tie and even doesn't fit even if somehow that miraculously was the name of the Hittichel. Tigris, Hittichel, can't make that connection. But let's say it is. Let's give them the benefit of the doubt. The Tigris is fed by the Euphrates, not the river from Eden. So how can it be a head of the river from Eden when it's a head of the Euphrates River? Doesn't work, does it? And even if it did, that modern river is just not deep enough because we're talking before the flood, before the world ocean. Let's continue. That is it which goeth toward the east of Assyria, and the Tigris is not east of Assyria. Nor does it flow east, as some would like to say, it flows south. And the fourth river is Parat. Now, the KJV, as well as many translations, actually here say Euphrates. And that is an assumption made by translators in which we find no real support. Parat is the name of the river in the original Hebrew and always has been. And it does not equate to the euphrates in any way and the modern euphrates also doesn't fit this system because it is not east of assyria don't they read the passage it also flows in the wrong direction as well and it also is not fed by a main river see part 10 for details and sources we lay this out in much more detail but we wanted to do a quick synopsis for the benefit here because now we're going to talk about the Pisan River. And what land is surrounded by the Pisan River? Ancient Havilla. Havila is again a variant of the real name of Eve, Hava, in Hebrew and it means one who suffers pain that brings forth. Varying it To the exact meaning of Eve's curse from the Garden of Eden. And this is the land that Cain, Abel, and the descendants of Adam and Eve were born. But did you know why the land was so significant to Adam and Eve? Certainly the gold, pearl, onyx, and the fact that it was right next to the garden, yes, but even more significant. It can be found in the book of Jubilees and Genesis. And on the new moon of the fourth month, Adam and his wife went forth from the Garden of Eden. And they dwelt in the land of Elda, in the land of their creation. And Adam called The name of his wife, Hava, Eve. But this just clarifies Genesis with something we have missed all of these years. This is why we need Jubilees. Genesis 3.23 Therefore the Lord God, Yahuwah, sent him forth from the Garden of Eden to till the ground, what ground? From whence? he was taken what ground the very ground from whence he was taken the land of their creation the soil that Adam was tilling was the same exact soil used in his creation wait a minute did you get that this was the very soil in which Adam and Eve were taken and created Eve still came from the same soil the rib from Adam came from that soil so it's the same soil next time you plant something in the ground in which you tread remember that is the very land in which Adam was formed out of so where did man originate the Philippines not Africa or anywhere else they try to tell us, because they just don't know. Here's what else we know. The land of creation was called Helda, and was east of the Garden of Eden, which is where they, Adam and Eve, lived, after the Garden. Remember that Eve, Havah, did not actually have a name in the Garden of Eden, period. Elda is Havilah's original name before the fall and Adam already knew this land because it was just east of the garden and he knew it was the land of their creation because he was aware and alive there just after being created and spent the first Sabbath there, not in the garden, because it wasn't created until the eighth day. This land was highly significant and important to Adam and Eve, and this is why they went there and stayed there the rest of their lives. And so did their generations all the way through Noah. This is where all of his children were born, his grandchildren, great-grandchildren, and so on and so on and so on, and Adam lived to see uh, something like nine generations uh, born which is amazing can you imagine that 930 years this is the cradle of human civilization not even the Garden of Eden Elda Hevila, Ophir Philippines is the cradle of all civilization period the land of creation. Wow. Genesis 3.20 And this is after the fall. And Adam called his wife's name Eve. We just saw that in Jubilees as well. Because she was the mother of all living. She was named by Adam in their new land after the fall. He also named her Hava, and then turned around and named the land after her curse, Havila, one who suffers pain that brings forth. That makes a lot more sense than trying to fit uh, something, you know, really force something else into a passage which just is not there. This is. And the clues we receive in Genesis 2 regarding Havila are the most telling, and we'll cover that in the next video. So let's plug this location of Havila, formerly Elda, into our map. Part ten further explains the river Pisan, if you need clarification further. And here are the details, east of Eden by Shem's eastern border north and to the left of Ham, the mountains of fire. Havilah, Elda, land of Adam and Eve, is east of the Garden of Eden. And here's another passage that narrows it down a little. After being taken to the third heaven, Enoch writes this description, looking down on the earth. Its root is in the garden at the earth's end. Oh, you mean the garden of Eden is at the ends of the earth, the earth's end? Hmm, haven't we heard that before? Look at this well. The garden is at earth's end. Not Eden, the garden of Eden And what else is at the ends of the earth? We know that that's what Yahusha refers to Sheba. And we know that Isaiah refers to Ophir, Tarshish. So it's all in all, Ophir, Sheba, Tarshish, Havilah, Elda, whatever name you want to use, is the same land And paradise is between corruptibility and incorruptibility. Now, some scholars actually try to tell us where this is, but this is not a direction. The garden is incorruptible, and it is adjacent to the corrupted land, meaning there is sin in it. And two springs come out which send forth honey and milk. He's talking about the land of Eden in the North Pole at the moment. See, he's viewing them as connected because they are. They are connected by the river from Eden. Watch what this says. And their springs send forth oil and wine, and they separate into four... Parts. What's he talking about? He's talking about the river from Eden. The four rivers from Eden. That come off of the river from Eden. So the five total. And go round with quiet course. They go round, around. Yes, they go around the earth. Not just the Middle East. And go down into... The paradise of Eden. So the Garden of Eden is down. We'll deal with that further, but that is a key clue between corruptibility and incorruptibility. And when, thence they go forth along the earth. So once again, this is a world-wide description of a worldwide system Not little modern rivers in Babylon that don't even connect to a main river. That are in no way connected. And have a revolution to their circle even as other elements. So there's a revolution to their circle. In other words, they go around the entire earth. They go around. They make a circle. Okay. Look at the map. Is this not clear? Enoch is saying this ancient river system travels the world in a circular pattern. We have been thinking of this in a limited mindset all these years. Now someone is going to say these rivers aren't of milk, nor of honey, nor of oil, nor of wine, right? These are all metaphors that we will get to at some point, but we don't have time in this video. So where is the Garden of Eden? The Garden of Eden is on the western side of the land of Havila. Why? Because it is by the border of Ham to the left of it and north of Ham's Mountains of Fire, Indonesia. And east of the Garden of Eden must be land. Where? We will pinpoint this further, but we remind you of the clue from Enoch. It's down. It's not on top of a mountain, and we'll show you more references, and it's not on what is sea level today after the flood. It's down. How do we know this? Because the river from Eden serves one purpose, to water the Garden of Eden. It leaves the land of Eden in the North Pole, which is exactly where the mid-ocean, mid-Atlantic ridge starts, which is a 40,000 mile long ancient river, which comes to the surface of the ocean floor. And it still functions today, balancing the pH of the oceans through its hydrothermal vents. It breaks into four heads along the way. The pisan is listed first, yet it's at the end, though. Does that make any sense? Actually, in the Hebrew mindset, yes. Remember, you are talking about a language that starts on the right or east when one is talking directions and goes to the left or west. Not a surprise at all. There is nothing in the passage specifying that the first river has to be the first split. The first river is the most significant river, as the Pisan River is the longest tributary of the river from Eden system. But remember again, even though there are five names, it's all one river system according to the description. So the river from Eden waters the Garden of Eden, practically at the very end of the entire ancient river system at the bottom of the ocean floor. So it all ties. The river from Eden, including its scientifically provable flow downhill around the earth, The land of Havila, variant of Hava, named for Hava's Eve's curse, as one who suffers pain that brings forth, the exact directions pointing the same location, double verifying its position and where it is. It is Havila, Ophir, Sheba, Tarshish, all modern day Philippines. Again, not our theory. But a proving out of the mapping of Jubilees, understanding the Hebrew history, geography, map of the ocean floor, science, and most especially the directions and clues very evident throughout the Bible, even in the New Testament. Oh yeah, and Yahushua, Jesus, called this the ends of the earth in Matthew twelve forty two and Luke eleven thirty, where the Queen of Sheba originated. Why? because it is the ends of the ancient river system as well as being the end of where the east and west meet. This is a term in light of the flow of the river from Eden, from the land of Eden to the garden of Eden, and even passes right next to Mount Sinai, the other holy place along the way. Wow! Wow! The three holy places of Yahuwah God all are positioned along the river from Eden and its tributaries. However, we are not done with holy places because there is one more mentioned, but it is part of, or at least adjacent to, the Garden of Eden, and that is the Mount of the East. You mean the Mount of the East mentioned in Jockton's Journey in Genesis 10, where we first started this whole series? Yep, the same one. And that was where they were headed, because they knew where they were going, and we are going to prove that even further, because the name of that mountain is really going to bring it home. They weren't just nomadic travelers finding what they could. They knew the earth from Noah and Shem, and they were going to a specific place for a specific purpose for the same reason that Solomon was going to a specific place for a specific purpose. It's all the same. It's all intertwined. And now we have completed our triangle of the three holy places of Yahuwah God on earth. Mount Zion, the naval middle, center of the earth in Eden at the North Pole. Mount Sinai in the center of the Midian Desert in Saudi Arabia. And the Garden of Eden, east of the land of Eden on the eastern border of Shem, north of Hams, mountains of fire, Indonesia, and left of Ham. The holy of holies where Yahuwah God dwells where Enoch still resides to this day, and it's in the region of the Philippines. It's not in Indonesia, nor Malaysia, nor mainland China, etc. Not Japan, which is too cold for Ham to be to the right of it. It's the Philippines and nowhere else on earth. This is why Joktan's sons headed to the Far East. And we'll deal with that further. So, did we find the Garden of Eden? Nope. Noah did. And we are just following his directions and proving it other ways as well. You know, it's funny. I guess a few folks have been watching this series, but somehow arriving at the opinion that we have nothing better to do than make Filipinos feel good about themselves. No doubt, the journey this series takes one on would make anyone feel good to know that their country had such a history, especially one that is termed a third world country. But it's not. And there is nothing wrong with that. However, we have a lot of subjects to cover and anyone who has watched our videos knows we are not pandering to anyone. We have No problem stepping on toes, including toes of Filipinos, when it makes sense. Such as Isaiah, who gave the warning about idols. Some people didn't like that. But you know what? We are going to be true to the Bible and to Yahuwah's message, above all things, even ourselves. However, just look. At some of the comments we get, and some of the emails get worse, most are very positive. We appreciate that, but we get blasted plenty. (laughs) We don't care, and it's fine. We'll take that. But the point is... We could stick to the traditional basic ideas and get invited to speak at churches and go on tour and write books and, you know, all of those things and try to take advantage of the situation. We don't care about that. I mean, I don't know how else we can prove that. We don't care. It only, it only matters that this represents the truth which we have represented to the best of our ability throughout this series. We haven't fudged anything. We've supported all of our points, even if you don't agree with one here or there. What we have found, however, is that when a Filipino tells us they believe something because it has been passed down from their ancestors, we listen. If you look at Our initial comments, Filipinos were telling us the three kings, which is really six or more, who came for Yahusha's birth, bearing gifts just two years after, came from the Philippines. And we consistently answered that our research had not proven that at that point. They have been telling us the Philippines is the location of the Garden of Eden. And for a while, we dismissed this as well, because yes, it sounds too unbelievable. I mean, isn't it enough to prove that this is Ophir? Well, no, because if that's not the full truth, let's go get the full truth. Let's know it all. Let's know everything. And there must be more to this land. There's got to be more to this land. To be so significant. I mean, Solomon didn't just place this as a a place to come and trade. It is far too large of a risk, and he was far too smart of a man. It is just not good business sense. Yet, he did it anyway. And he did it because he knew his history. He knew what Ophir was. And he knew it was ancient Havilah. He knew The river from Eden surrounded it, the Pisan River. He knew it all. However, when we really researched all of this, they were right. Filipinos were right about the three kings. They were right, not us. That wasn't necessarily our idea. The research led there, but we were encouraged to look into that several times. And we are now finding out that they were right all along about the Garden of Eden. Does it seem unbelievable? Of course. Because we have all been told this is a third world country of little significance. How could it house the Garden of Eden? Oh my goodness, that you know, couldn't be. It's insignificant. No, it's not. This is the most significant land on earth. In all of history. We still have two more videos on the heels of this one and they'll be coming very soon. We're almost done actually with the next one and we'll be recording it within the next few days and getting it up. We will explore in 12c the elements of the story of the Garden of Eden to see if they make sense in the context of this find. And in twelve D, we'll go even deeper into the Philippines history and Hebrew context, which will allow us to make a strong projection as to the actual location of the Garden of Eden. Thank you for watching our Solomon's Gold series. Please share this video with others. Subscribe to our YouTube channel and view our website at The God Always remember to prove all things for yourself. Yahuwah God bless.